for those of you who spend some time with me lately, um, obviously it's, it's what's been on my mind, those babies have been on my mind, and I've been speaking about them a lot tonight. I try and speak about other things, and, and, and that's quite difficult because I love them so much, and at this moment, at this stage of my life, my entire life is consumed by those two little twins, and those two little babies. Everything is consumed by them. In fact, uh, three evenings ago, uh, I've, I've told you guys that we wake up a lot at, at night now to feed them, and, and it really is it's all encompassing. It takes everything of you, especially with twins. It's, it's a lot of hard work. About three evenings ago, I woke up during the night, I think it was about at 3, 3 a.m., and I needed to go warm up their milk, their bottles. So what happens is I sort of go down the stairs very tired, and I put the two cups down, and I boil the kettle, and I get the milk out of the fridge, and I put it down, and I wait for the kettle to boil, and then I pour the water into the two jugs, and then I put the bottles in. And then instead of putting the, the kettle back on the kettle stand, you know there's that stand that has the electricity, so I pour into the two cups, and instead of putting it back, I pour water onto the kettle stand. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck are you doing? You are tired. You are so tired. The other evening, I'll tell you another story. The other evening, um, Carla, uh, uh, she's breastfeeding, and I get into bed after going to the toilet. And sometimes during the night, we're so confused. We regularly wake up and ask each other, where's the baby? Where's the baby? We regularly have the same dilemma. Regularly have the same I get into bed, and I go and I lay down in front of Carla, and Carla's like, be careful, be careful. And sometimes she talks in her sleep, and I'm not sure if she's talking in her sleep, and I ask her, Carla, why should I be careful? She says, no, the babies are drinking. <laughs> she's on her side, I see the babies, they see you over there. The babies are drinking. <laughs> <laughs> so I realize Carla's talking in her sleep, and, and I get into bed, and I, I think I'm going to give her noisy now, so I'm like, ooh, wait, wait, Carla, I think I'm on one of the babies, I'm on one of the babies. <laughs> Someone to give you attention and love and care 
And if you don't get that, you are not going to grow up like you should. And you need parents that literally their lives need to revolve around you for some time. When you grow up, that changes. But when you're a baby, everything needs to revolve around you. Now, there are probably in this room, there's a bunch of young Christians sitting here. And it might sound demeaning if I say that you're a baby Christian. But actually, when the Bible says, when you become a Christian, it says that you get born. You get born again, actually, the Bible says. So you have your physical birth, but you, you get a, a spiritual birth as well. When you come to, to, to the realization that Jesus is Lord and that He died on the cross for you and that He loves you and that He, that he wants you to live forever, you give your life to Him whenever that happens. And for some of my happen tonight, I'm, I'm hoping after this I can give I can give an appeal if anyone hasn't given their life to Jesus yet, then I'd love to pray for you tonight that you can give your life to Jesus. But if you come to that place of giving your life to Jesus, what the Bible actually says is you become like a little baby. And for the first few years of your life, and for the first time as a spiritual baby, Jesus Christ, everything of it revolves around you. And that's, that's really how I experienced it when I was a young Christian. I just, I experienced God so much coming into my life and caring for me and showing me how much He loves me, giving me sustenance, giving me nourishment. And I needed that because as a young Christian, if I didn't have that experience with God, didn't come to that place where I realized how God feels about me, how He loves me, how He cares for me, I would have died spiritually. If I tried to, from a young Christian, just say, no, I'm okay, I can do things on my own, I would have died. So there's a natural place as a young Christian that you need to come to absolute surrender in the arms of Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to get to know you. And Jesus, if you don't care for me, then I've got nothing. Then I will die. But a baby is not supposed to say a baby. Amen? Amen. Amen. Just imagine that Godfrey, my friend Godfrey, I don't know if I can use this as an example. Imagine Godfrey was my son. No, it doesn't look like it, but I mean, <laughs> maybe it does, I don't know. Um, imagine Godfrey was my son, right? How do you think, what type of son, do you think Godfrey would be a mature son if he was my son and he lived in my house? Maybe you think I'll use you rather, that's a bit more, it's near, near the past, Godfrey doesn't make sense, almost my age. How old are you? 20. 20, 18. No, he's not, well, they ain't very young. Okay, 18, no, who's, who's young, what about And at 5 o'clock that morning, I do the same. 
And then at 7 o'clock, I wake her up and I play with her. Does that sound normal to you? No. No. <laughs> it doesn't sound normal. Because you see, the ladies grown up. And as we grow up, we are supposed to change. And we are supposed to go into a new phase of life where, where at, at one stage, we only receive, we come to a place where we actually start giving. We actually start contributing. And so as a Christian, maturity looks like this. Initially, you only receive. That's why you need the church. There's this quote that says, it's more important what you get saved into than what you get saved out of. What you get saved into, the church that you get saved into, this family that you grow up in, getting to know your father, that is of utmost importance. You need to receive, you need to learn who Jesus is for you. You need to be like that for a long time. But then as you grow, maturity is that your life no longer only revolves around you, but it starts, you start going from this to this. And you start actually thinking of other people around you. And you start contributing. And you start giving something to the family. And becoming a, a, a contributor to the family. That is maturity. And many Christians only stay in this place, but they only want to receive. They come to church only for them. If the worship's not like it, then I won't come anymore. If the preaching sucks, which uh, in the first service I felt like I preached at 11, so I don't know people come back again. But if the preaching sucks, then sorry, I won't come back again. If someone didn't greet me, that wants to greet me, sorry, I won't come back. If Lenin asked me what my, what my name is for the fourth time, sorry, I won't come back again. I won't come back again. Because that means that your maturity is not at the place where, you, where you've grown up. Everything is still surrounded around you. But what God wants is, as we grow, that we go from this to this. And we don't only think, what do I need? Because that's what the baby is. It's the only thinking, what do I need? To what can I do? Sure. That's maturity. That's good. And God wants every Christian to go through a process of maturity. And he walks patiently with us. He does. But he, he wants each of us to come and not ask, what do I need? But what can I do? Sure. To move from what do I need to what can I do? That's what he wants to do. So, getting to the book of Ephesians, Paul understood exactly what I was speaking, what I just spoke about now. And it's so interesting that for the six chapters of the book of Ephesians, it's like Paul traces the life of a believer from infant to mature. And you can literally split the book of Ephesians that we're preaching through in half. And the first half of the book is primarily what you can receive. And then it starts going from what I receive, how do I live it out? How do I give? How do I contribute? The first one is what has Jesus done for you? And then it starts moving now, what do I do for Jesus? That's maturity. And as we as we grow as Christians, we need to do what Paul is doing to us in this book. And we need to go from chapter 1, 2, 3, where I realize who I am in Christ, who my Father is, who I am in this body, who how do they care for me? Two, how do I actually now contribute? How do I give to the family? And that's exactly what Paul does. Chapter 1, 2, and 3, me. Which is good, you need that. Otherwise you'll die. Chapter 4, Paul makes a shift and he starts going, okay, now what can I do? How can I live this out? And we're going to go through chapter 4, a portion of chapter 4, verse 7 to 16 tonight. Now I'm going to read through it. And just as a heads up, there are some portions here that are going to seem confusing, okay? But I want you to hang in there 
and explain, and to the best of my ability, explain what Paul is trying to say. Here's a, here's a quick thing for you. You know who Peter in the Bible was? Okay? Peter was one of the guys that walked with Jesus. Peter also wrote first and second Peter. And many think the Gospel of Mark was written by Peter as well, or it was written by Mark that Pete told him what to write, interestingly enough. He was the guy that walked on water, he was that disciple. He walked with Jesus for three and a half years. Amazing, right? Peter, when he gets to Paul's messages, this is a direct quote from Peter. He says, Paul's letters, that is difficult to understand. <laughs> Peter says that about Paul. See, some of what Paul wrote to us is difficult to understand. If Peter found it confusing, then it's okay. Sometimes we have to read this inside before we understand that. Amen. And that's why we have this. That's why we have teachings to help us break open the Word of God. So I'm going to attempt to the best of my ability to break open the Word of God to us. So we're going to start in verse 7. I'm actually going to ask that you put it up again tonight. It just helps me more than for your sake. If you have it in your Bible, I'm reading out of the ESV. You can open up the ESV or any other translation you can follow for yourself. So Paul starts off like this. He says, I'm going to read verse um, from verse 7 to 10. And then I'm going to, no, let me, let me go one, one verse at a time. Verse 7 says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Just stop there. Um, I want you to say two things with me. Everyone say grace. 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 And everyone say, say each one of us. Each, each one, one of us. us. Okay, well, that is very soft. It might be the most. Let's try and <laughs> say Everyone say grace. Grace. Okay, say each one of us. Each, each one, one of us. Okay, and say Christ's gift. Christ's gift. There we go. So Paul starts off this new portion where he's going to move into how we can actually do something for God. And he says that grace was given to each one of us. Now, grace has two meanings. It can mean uh, unmerited favor, meaning there's grace that was shown to me. I don't deserve it, but you give it to me. But it can also mean divine enablement. So meaning God enables you to do something that you cannot do without God. And that's what it means in this context. So what Paul is saying is, God has given to every person in this room, every person that he was writing to, every person in the Ephesian church, saying every person, if you are a Christian, not if you're a good Christian, not if you walk with God for a long time, not if you try and very well, he said, every single Christian, grace, divine enablement was given to you. Meaning God is enabling you to do something that you cannot do without him. God is putting something on every person's life. And what he puts on my life is different than what he puts on Dean's life. It's different than what he puts on Godfrey's life. It's different. See, if, if it, and I can use this joke, if the church was full of Godfrey's, it would be a very attractive church. But, <laughs> but I mean, that, that would be basically it. It's normally I say that about myself. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want a church where it's everyone cookie-cutter, everyone the same. That's not it. And God hasn't designed it like that. God has said, no, when you come to contribute something to, to the body of Christ, you have a unique thing that you can contribute. And God says, that's according to Christ's gift. Now let me explain that to you for a moment. You see, when I want to give something, you know the trap that many of us fall into is we think that I'm going to do something, I have plans for my life, 
and God falls into my plans. It's like, see, my plans is this big circle, and God will fall into my plans. But what this is saying, it says, no, it's not your gift. It's not for what you want to do. It says it's for Christ's gift. So it says Christ has something that he wants to do on the earth. Christ has a kingdom that he wants to build. Christ has things that he wants to accomplish, and you fall in line with what Christ wants to do. You are a little dot in his plan. And his plan is massive. And his plan is so big that there's space for each one of us to run to the best of our ability and we won't get in each other's way. There's enough room for each one of you to walk in the things that God has for you. And God wants to use you. If you're sitting here tonight, you need to hear this. God wants to use you. And he wants to use you in a very unique way. And he wants to do things in your life so that you can contribute to the body of Christ. Then he goes on, verse 8. And, and this I'm going to explain. This is where Paul gets a bit confusing. Therefore it says, When Jesus ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying, he ascended. What does it mean, but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Someone say, say what? <laughs> <laughs> say what? <laughs> that is, it's, when I read it the first time, I'll be honest with you, I studied theology, I read this numerous times, I was like, yeah, I need to grapple with this, I need to understand it. So let me explain to you in the best way that I can understand it. The end part, what Paul is trying to say is, he's just basically trying to say, because he was from the heresy in the church, that Jesus physically came to earth and he physically went up again in the glorified that's what he was trying to say there. When he said, he, he descended and he ascended. He's just saying Jesus descended and he ascended. But before that, there's actually a very cool picture that we don't know because we aren't the original hearers. Those of you who were here last week, you remember I said the Bible wasn't primarily originally written to you. You first need to think, what did the original hearers hear? So this is what they heard. In that time, in Bible times, there were different kings. It wasn't like presidents. President Donald Trump and President Obama pulls on to fight against each other. It's not like that. That's not how it works. Because Trump will work definitely. But he's not president anymore. Hey, Biden is. Maybe you are following himself. But anyway, it's not president. So those times they were kings in different places. And your country's lines or the territory of your country wasn't fixed per se, but you had to fight other kings. And if you beat that king or you beat their army, then you would be able to invade their territory and those people would become part of your people, right? They would become part of your, your group of people. That Your kingdom would grow and that kingdom would become part of your kingdom. Does that make sense? Yes. You're still following me, okay? So what you would do, if I was king, I would go, I'm King Leonard and Godfrey's King Godfrey and he's got his territory and I've got my territory. I'm trying to explain it here. This is my purpose. And I go into his territory, and my, our armies fight with each other. And obviously I win, right? So, <laughs> what happens is, normally I would kill Godfrey, kill the king, so that he can't usurp your authority, you kill him. But then his servants would come, and they would follow you back to your kingdom. And you would be on your horse, and these servants would follow you into your kingdom. The language was, you would have a robe on, and they would follow in the train of your robe. Actually, in Psalm, it says the 
that Jesus, we follow the train of his road. Come and on. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. So these new servants that become your slaves, but then later become just part of the citizens of your kingdom, would follow you into your kingdom. And everyone would line up into the streets, and there would be a massive party to celebrate the king who has conquered on his horse, come into this kingdom, and the new servants would come in and they would follow. Right? Sure. Now, here's the amazing thing. Jesus is the conquering king. Yeah. In Revelation, it actually speaks of Jesus coming on a white horse. Oh, right? And when Jesus came, he came to earth, he came from his kingdom to the kingdom of the devil. Because the Bible says that the devil is the king of this world, actually. Yeah. And he came, and when he died on the cross, the Bible actually says that he crushed Satan under his feet. He conquered Satan. So he came, his kingdom, king of his kingdom, came down, defeated Satan. And now we, who were part of this world, become his new servants. Yeah. And we come into his kingdom, and I think those people are like the angels to celebrate yeah. us as his new servants coming into the kingdom of Jesus. Yeah. Someone say amen. 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 That's cool. That's amazing. We follow behind a conquering king. And we become his new servants. And then the amazing thing is, now this portion says, Paul says, we are like his servants following behind Jesus, following behind the train of his drone, right? And it says that as we come, this king now makes us part of his kingdom. But not only that, he gives us gifts. Because he's a good king. So he's not just saying, cool, you can be part of my kingdom. He's saying, I'm going to make you an integral part of my kingdom. Mm, sure. And when you got saved, you follow him in Jesus. And he wants to make you part of his kingdom. And he gives you gifts. That's good news. Mm. That's good news. Just say it with me. I have a gift. Go read that in your own time. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. 
And so there's lots of examples mentioned throughout Scripture, and even that doesn't encompass all the examples of things and ways that God can use you. It is just an example. But Paul mentions five examples here of big gifts that can operate in the body. And he's saying, God has given these gifts in the body, and some of you sitting here are these gifts, actually. I'm going to mention them now. And some of you are a mixture of these gifts. And some of you are not necessarily ever going to be a prophet, a evangelist, but you're going to have aspects of those things, and you're going to function as a saint, as a healthy Christian, in doing all of these things. Because all Christians actually need to have a measure of all five of these things. But Come some on. might just pop out to the wall. So, he said in verse 11, it says, And Jesus gave the apostles, I'm going to go through it now, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. I'm specifically doing it with my hand because I'm going to teach you to remember these five now. And actually what their function is. Because many times in the Bible, it's just words. What does that even mean? What does the evangelist mean? What does the prophet mean? I don't know. But you, and, and I'm going to ask you to be a little bit interactive with me, just so I feel like I'm not, I'm not alone in front. Okay? I can't see your smiles. I know all of you are smiling at the moment, but I can't see your smiles. Okay. So go like this, swiftly. Hallelujah. Thank you for your worship. Okay. So go like, go with your pinky and then say teacher. Teacher. Go with your ring finger and say pastor. Pastor. Don't show you what the thing is, just do this. And then say evangelist. Evangelist. Do this and say Yes, church is nice. Yes, this is great. 
And a year later, he went back to that same church and, uh, and he prophesied to all of them again. He went to all of them again. And afterwards, many of them came to, them, came to him. I, I need to remember to look up there to those people in the, in the gallery. And he came to them. And, he, and, and many of them came after, afterwards after the service to him and said, Listen, I don't understand what's going on. When you prophesied to me a year ago, you prophesied to me today, you prophesied exactly the same thing. This guy is very godly. He said, there's no way for me to know what I prophesied a year ago. I can't remember. And he asked them, did you apply what was prophesied? And they said, no. (laughs) That's the prophet. That's like one of those people that feels like they read your mail. They know what's going on. So like, when you get around there, you sort of walk in the other direction. Says that he 
Because you know what happens if you're a pastor or an elder and you speak to an unsaved person or someone who doesn't know Jesus, you know what they do? They immediately put up a mask. When they hear you're a pastor, they go, Oh, I'm a Christian too. That's what they do. They might be smoking and they'll go, Oh, that's nice to hear. They do that. They might be drinking and say, Oh, yeah, um, that was nice. Sip of my beer. I won't take any more. They just put up this mask. They don't don't give themselves to you completely. But if you're a saint and you're like, God, I'm going to make a difference where I am. I don't have to stand in front yet to make a difference. Listen, you can have more of an impact than I can have. You can be more effective for the kingdom than I can. We're a priesthood of all believers. Every one of us have a part to play. Verse 13, 14, 15, and 16. I'm going to go through them and just do small pauses, explain and then go on. But we're almost done. It says we do this. We build up into each other. We use these gifts until, verse 13, we all attain to the unity of the faith. Meaning that's what Jesus wants. We need to build each other up so that we find unity together. You ever hear a little it's so cool. The prophetic words that came out in worship, I didn't say a single thing to any of them. It was about unity and being together. Yeah, sure. When each of us brings our part, there's unity being formed in the church and we grow. I want the church to grow. Yeah. Not only numerically, no, but in maturity, people growing in maturity. Mm. That means every one of us needs to bring our part. The unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Listen to this. To mature manhood. That's the vision that we become mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. When you start walking in your gifts, and when we walk in our gifts, we grow up as a body of Christ. We no longer children. We no longer tossed to and fro by the wind waves um, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. When we bring our hearts, we help each other be stable in the Lord. So each of us have our faith in our heart. Verse 15. Rather, so something we all have to do, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in everyone into Him who is the Head, into Christ. So first week we spoke about the fact that you are in Christ. It happens. Now it's saying that as we do this, as we bring our heart, we grow up into Christ. It's like we grow in Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and out together by every joint, Meaning this body is held together by every joint. With which it is equipped. When each, listen to this, I'm going to end with this last verse. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Each of you needs to work properly, otherwise we're never going to see the destiny God has for us in this church. Yeah. If you're a young Christian, receive from God. Yeah. Do it. Be in Christ. Be in this family. Receive from us. Tell us when you're struggling. Reach out to us. Say, I want to have a coffee. We'll have a coffee with you. Definitely we will. We want to be like that. Yeah. But then as you grow, realize that you can't stay a child forever. At some point, you need to start being that one that reaches out. You need to start being the one that when a new person walks in here, that you reach out, that you love, that you prophesy, that you teach. Someone gets saved, that you take them, you teach them about baptism. You need to start doing those things as well. Each of us need to grow. If all of us don't do it, we're never going to attain to the destiny that God has for us. I can't do it alone. God, we can't be the only one doing it with me. Whoever. We all need to do it. Okay. Let me just a quick illustration. God, we need to come stand here. Just lead 